I'm your host, Adam Kasobi-Cannon, and this podcast is brought to you by BriefBid, a platform for agencies and brands to discover new media strategies and plan advertising spend. Let's get started. So on today's episode of How Did You Get Here, we have Matt Nunagawa. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you are a veteran software engineer, you know, engineering manager from San Francisco Bay Area. You're currently working on your own Slack app in KB Clip. But prior to that, you were, you know, working as an advisor, as a consultant, as, you know, another founder for another startup. You're effectively the startup Swiss Army knife from my perspective. (laughs) Question on everybody's mind, Matt. How did you get here? How did I get here? Oh, gosh. You know, it it just kind of goes way back, right? Um, I've I've been coding forever, like as long as I can remember, ever since I was a little kid. Um, And and at some point, um, you know, the Bay Area just had this kind of draw. I was actually working for for a company, a microchip company based out of Oregon, but I was working in their Tokyo office and they transferred me to San Jose, right? So that's the mechanical logistical version, right? So kind of a long story. But once I got to San Jose, I ended up leaving the microchip industry almost immediately as soon as my reload package was was sorted out or whatever and um, just working in software and web apps and things like that, right? And then just kind of being in and around startups, right? And, and from there, it's just a lot of, you know, um, you know, just kind of being nice and talking to people and learning, you know, going to meetups and, and you know, making introductions and, and getting introductions. And um, and while you're at work, you know, just just do good work and, and you know, do what you can do and, and pick up the skills along the way. You know, especially in early stage startups, you know, you, you wear so many different hats, right? You're going to you're going to pick up, you know, tiny lessons, you know, around the way. Like um, if you're a startup of of eight people, like how do you deal with dishes, right, in the office, right? And how does that change when you're 30 people? Because even doing the dishes actually doesn't scale beyond a certain point, right? I I like that. There's a it's like that throwback to that old um, uh, that old problem that that one startup had. Like, oh, we have all this extra food. If we just put a live cam on the food, uh, people will can see if there's any extra food in the in the main area, so we can just go and get it all eaten. It's like, yeah. We, there's dishes to be done. We got to go from hand wash to dishwasher to, you know, full on like we need cleaning staff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that like key lesson early on in the career, and and your career has been very interesting. And with so many kind of like pivotal startups, I, I got asked like you you were at Collective Health. Yes. Uh, what what I'm not going to say is ages ago, a while ago. Uh, <laughs> what what was your role like at Collective Health? Collective Health was was fascinating, and actually, it was a big inflection point in my career for a couple of reasons. Um, I was the first employee, right? You know, so it was just the four co-founders and myself, right? So talk about wearing many hats, right? You know, I, I did you know just about everything, right? Now that first year, my primary role was you know engineering management uh, as well as coding, right? I actually did a lot of the early infrastructure work uh, and whatnot. But um, but in year two, right, management was like, you know what? We've got the funding. We need to add thirty engineers by the end of the year, and I'm like. How are we gonna add 30 engineers? Like we are we maybe had like 10 or 15 at the time. Like you want me to triple the size of the engineering team, right? Um, and so I said, you know what? That means I can't code anymore. I can't do anything. So I just basically stopped coding um, cold turkey. Right? I still manage, of course. You know, I had teams and whatnot. But um, I uh, this was before we had a single recruiter, by the way. So like you know, individual teams and the CEO and the, the founders were doing all the the, the hiring go, themselves. Go hire, and you're like and basically, cool. yeah. Please so, tell me end of year was like at least two quarters. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, this was this was probably end of Q1. So I had about three quarters, right? So, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, 
but again, 30 engineers in, in Silicon Valley during essentially an upswing in um, the economy was, you know, that was like, it felt impossible. Um, but the, the long story short is, um, you know, I started leveraging the network. You know, I asked around people in the company, the advisors of the company, who do we know that knows hiring, right? So, and I just, I talked a lot. I took notes, right? Um, I did everything I could. I experimented and I just did a lot of interviews, right? I probably did, you know, hundreds and hundreds of interviews that first year in particular. Um, and as an engineer with an engineering background, right, I realized that one, recruiters often come through agencies. Like they, agencies will hire anyone and then they become recruiters because working at an agency is kind of terrible, right? Um, and that one, they, they don't always, they, they very rarely have the engineer's point of view, right? So I was able to take my knowledge as an engineer and kind of leverage that into how do I create a process, right? How do I make this a process that makes sense for, for both us, the company, and for the, the candidates that come through the pipeline, right? How do I iterate on the pipeline, right? You know, as if it was like a, like a DevOps, you know, bottleneck type problem or, or something like that. How do I iterate on this to, to remove bottlenecks, to increase efficiency, to reduce false negatives and false positives, right? Um, and I took all of that, right? And, and I kind of created this kind of, you know, core thesis on how I would run hiring, right? You know, being an engineering manager. And then we did that and we got, I think I ended up getting about 25 engineers, you know, not quite the 30, but, you know, basically nearly there um, in that three quarters, right? Um, and, and recruiting's funny because you'll have these boom and bust, you know, cycles. Like I had one week where we actually had seven signed offers in one week and that was like a miracle. And then I'll have like followed by a month of like not signing anyone. <laughs> yeah. So. Ebbs and flows, peaks and yeah, valleys. Yeah. You got, yeah, got to do it. You, you, uh, please tell me you resold this engineering pipeline as a product in and of itself. I, <laughs> I, I, I try to, but um, the funny thing about hiring teams um, is that as much as companies want to hire people, they don't invest in in tooling, right? You know, the, for a little bit, there was this um, uh, this product I tried to make where it's like, I'll, I'll take your analytics and um, I'll take your hiring numbers, like how many, you know, in your pipeline numbers and try and turn that into reasonable analytics, right? So, you know, for example, right? If, because, um, you know, hiring is not like a sales funnel, right? Like in a sales funnel, you just want, you know, as, as much conversion as possible as you go down. But hiring is a little different, right? Because if I have, you know, X number of people at the onsite phase, you know, back when there were onsites, it's kind of not, a, not really a thing as, as much these days. But um, I actually want about half of them to get an offer, right? Because if too many get an offer, that means my earlier filters are too strong, right? I'm actually weeding out, I'm getting more false, false negatives. Yeah, false negatives, yeah. right? And, if, if I'm doing too many on-sites and not enough offers, like if I'm only getting 10% offers from that on-site phase, that means um, my earlier filters are too weak and I'm wasting a lot of time, right? On-sites are very expensive and you want them to be productive, right? Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. So, so each phase of the pipeline has kind of this sweet spot in terms of the conversion percentage, unlike, you know, like a, a sales or a marketing funnel where you just kind of want to crank things up as much as possible. No, this is, is it like a classic case of noise reduction. You're like, but with each iteration, we need to reduce noise, reduce noise, reduce noise yep. to get optimal signal strength at the end. Like this is, uh, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay, okay. You have a clear, clear insight into this. Like, how do job seekers then? You've seen it on. You've been on both sides. Actually, you've, you've very you've experienced both. How do job seekers then break into the tech job market in Silicon Valley? Like, yeah. So, so there's a couple of different ways, right? You know, um, and, and they come down to one of two core skills, right? And and I've heard this. Um, I'm trying to remember where I got it. I think it might have been. Hacker News or even Sam Altman, um, but he talked about if Silicon Valley, you have to be good at two things, right? Either at, at making product um, or at at communicating. And so for me, making product is primarily about code, um, excuse me, and to a lesser extent, product and design, right? But if you can code, you can get a job almost anywhere, right? 
um, even people early career, you know, um, even with bootstrap, there's, you know, there's a lot more competition, especially in the, the early career, but, you know, just being able to code or make product in some way, um, you know, you, your skills are going to put you in a talent pool, a limited talent pool that, that people want access to. So there's one way. The other way is, um, and kind of broadening it from just being good at email, but, you know, being good at communication, right? Because a lot of what you hear, right, you know, when someone says, oh, if you just hustle, right, you know, hustle is, is kind of, you know, a, a large component of that is, is obviously just doing good work and, and kind of not giving up and things like that. But it's also um, persistent, good communication in the sense that good, persistent communication, right, you know, allows you to build network effects, which, which you know, increases the surface area of opportunities and, and even luck that, that you come across, right? So I, I don't, you know, there's pure random luck, but then there's the, the notion that you can create your own luck by just, you know, um, having more opportunities, you know, being more aware of the things around you and, and putting yourself in position to, to receive, you know, good luck or good fortune in some way. Right. If that I, makes sense. I like that. No, it's a simple, it's almost a sabermetrics approach to it. You, you want a two, at least a two tool player, you know, you got yeah, to, go. yeah, at least a two tool player. Then, and that's like, I mean, sabermetrics and all that, right. You know, um, whether you're talking about baseball or football or any of them, it's, it's about, how do we put our players in a position to, how do we put the team into succeed, succeed with the right number of, of parts and pieces, you know, that, that give us the most opportunities, right? Whether that's um, for singles or doubles or for home runs or whatever, right? You know, just kind of doing the math. And, and you're not going to, in real life, when you're talking about career opportunities, you know, you're probably not going to create, you know, spreadsheets in order to, you know, I, I know eight people. I met eight people at this meetup and that increased my luck surface area by, you know, whatever percent. But, right, you know, it, it is one of those things where, um, going to meetups, meeting people is every now and then you'll meet someone. Um, and if you're lucky and if you meet enough people and, and if you're friendly and smart and engaging, right. And, and you've worked on your communication skills, then you might meet someone like a super connector, someone who has disproportionately more connections and, and larger network effects, right. You know, a lot of my best consulting opportunities have come from one super connector I met at a meetup in my early days. Right. Um, and, and that's a little bit of luck, right. And, and, and a lot of, um, you know, I don't want. I don't want to sound like manipulative. Like I'm taking this one person and taking advantage of them because we're actually really good friends to this day. But mm -hmm. it is one of those things where, um, you know, small, consistent, persistent efforts um, do add up over time, right? Well, no, and this is this is just a you know a measurement of, of probabilities. You know, to continue on, it's not a Sam Altman line, but I've just heard Sam Altman quoted so many times. Is but you become the average of your five closest friends or your five closest contacts. Uh, he's like that'll likely increase your probabilities towards doing certain things that ultimately affect your career outcomes. Like this is, uh, I, I think that's fair to measure to measure chance in such a regard, not manipulative. It's very much just a chance measurement. <laughs> Makes um, sense. Yeah. But I, I I like I I gotta ask though because you you've been on both sides mm -hmm. startup wise you know employee founder looking for a job when when do you make that transition from startup employee to startup founder yeah so, so that's, that's actually a really good question because it's not always obvious right i think um you know there's a lot of things you need right to, to become a founder you know confidence you know you have to be you have to be a little bit um nuts in terms of like your risk tolerance right you know things like that you know um you have to have this desire and this, you know, this freedom, you kind of have to want it, right? You know, people very rarely become founders by accident, right? You know, sometimes it happens, you know, you hear the <laughs> occasional founder story, but uh, on the whole, it's because, you know, you, you want to be, and there's something that you think you can achieve or, or that you can do, um, you know, that, that you're not going to achieve as an employee of somewhere else, right? Sometimes it is, um, you want to be your own boss and, and, you know, the freedom and, and the, you know, 
things like that. You know, I, I mentioned risk tolerance before, but you're taking a tremendous amount of personal, often financial uh, career risk as well. Actually, there's probably less career risk than you think, because even a failed startup can look good on, on a resume. Um, yeah. I'm daring. You know, unless it's, yeah. I mean, there are some exceptions like, you know, like a Theranos type of, you know, explosion. But on the whole, there's very little career risk. Um, but I think ultimately for me personally, right, is that every CEO, every every founder startup that I've worked with, um, they've all been weird or odd. Um, I don't want to say crazy, but um, they've all been a little strange in their own way, right? And and they're all strange in very different ways. Um, and my ideal company, right? I would work for a founder or a CEO that's exactly as strange in exactly the same ways that I am. And I don't think that person exists, right? I think we're all strange in our own unique ways. And so if I'm going to find this, you know, dream job or dream position where I'm working for someone as strange as me, it's probably gonna have to be me working for me at the end of the day. And so that's kind of what I came down to. No, I, I, I echo your sentiment. Honestly, I, I lucked out. I found, uh, I, I always call it, I found founders that uh, have the right kind of crazy that I'd scream from the rafters with. Like that's one of those, uh, one of those things. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. This episode segment of You Tried What? We are trying out, and let's hold them up so the audience can see. We're trying Heartbeat Hot Sauces. Great Canadian product from Tunder Bay. All the way from Tunder Bay. Um, and uh, what do we have? We have, what, what, do you, what do you have on your side? I have Scorpion and Blueberry Habanero. Yeah, yeah those are the rock, exact ones I got here. So all the Same way from San Francisco. To Calgary and Tunderby, uh, we have we have heartbeat hot sauces. Now, right before we went live, we were uh, we were talking. What do we do? Do we do we go uh, purist or avec vehicle? And uh, you know what, Matt, I say we I say we try them purist first. And um, you know, I'm immediately regretting my decision because I'm realizing right now that this is a tablespoon. Should have brought the teaspoon. Okay. I got the little one. It's even got a little teddy bear with wow. a smiley face on it. So my my spoon. You, you is came to play. Out. All right, we're uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in on this scorpion hot sauce. Let's uh, let's hope the scovels, the scovels aren't too crazy. All right, you're you're starting with the. You don't want to. Actually, I'm I'm gonna suggest that we start oh, we're starting with, with the blueberry, blueberry, right? Because I don't I don't want the scorpion. It, I mean, is it too late? I don't want the scorpion to I overwhelm mean, the blueberry since I think the blueberry my, is my spoon is too. full. So what did I do? Oh yeah, you're you're. I think you're right because on the on the heartbeat hot scale, this is only just hot, but on the uh, on yeah. the blueberry habanero, it's uh, oh this is apparently less hot. So I went yeah you're right I went uh, I, I went to fourth gear shouldn't I? What are you gonna do? So wait, wait which one? I you have, got the you do have the scorpion. We're doing this. All right. Well, I'll go Let's with do you. It. I'll just go with you. Oh, this is for the children. <laughs> it's. I definitely taste it. How much, how Five tablespoons you worth. You know enough. Well, that's and, uh, you know, I, I used baking servings for my hot sauce. <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, this it is, is this delicious, is good, right? This, with, with your hot sauce, you never want it to be just pure heat. Like you, you want to yeah. get flavor in there, right? And um, you know, the scorpion is going to be obviously less flavor than anything with the with the word blueberry it's in true. it, right? But this is, you know, you can you can taste the the you know, like the black yeah. pepper in there. Um, 
and and, and there's some there's it's some fr- it's like it's too, it's light it's, it's yeah nice. it, oh and you know what the heat is immediately yeah. abated so i'm no longer crying um yeah and it's oh man that is that that is that is the pride of small batch fermenters in tender bay heartbeat Woo! yeah no i like it it's it's got um it's got that a little bit of that vinegar kind of undertones yeah. to it as well yeah. so i dig that it's there but yeah, the heat. I, I the still heat's feel the heat, still there. Yeah, the heat, oh, I'm, I'm aware of my yeah. mouth. I am. Uh, <laughs> if I didn't know I had a tongue before, I do now. Heartbeat. <laughs> ah. Ah. Heart, heartbeat. Heartbeat hot sauce. Right. Burns so good. All right. Like yeah. That. Oh, like taglines are, are, are well accepted. We, we got to give them some ideas. Yeah. Oh. Stop your heart good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, could could kill you. It's so good. I'm kidding. Their product is totally food safe. They're very well tested. All right, I'm I'm diving into this blueberry before I switch to the vehicle. All right, this here we go. Is purest purest tests. Oh yeah, let's just a little bit, yeah, a little bit extra, little little dabble, do ya? Okay, and now we're trying the blueberry habanero down the hatch. Mm. Oh, the, that's still good. <coughs> my nose. <coughs> it's. <laughs> How's it? Don't compared to the. Please. Uh, oh, no, it's, go ahead. I, I don't aspirate hot sauce. Is the the, the lesson I just learned. <laughs> Swallow it. Don't breathe it. Don't breathe it. In. But um, wow. This one um, it's definitely got a little bit of the sweetness to go yeah. along with the tangy and, and the heat. But it, uh, it it feels mild compared to the scorpion. Obviously, I don't, I don't think it'd be mild if I'd started with this. But relative to the scorpion, it's definitely just you know hot and not like yeah. Burning. This one doesn't so. hurt, but it's it. The other one I would recommend <laughs> to everybody. This one though, this this is uh you you can give this one to your parents and they'll still like you after the fact. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, and this is, and I hope I'm getting this right. This is made with Forgotten Lake blueberry ale. Forgotten Lake blueberry ale. Where is it again? <laughs> oh. Is that another Thunder, Thunder Bay, Bay special? Thunder Bay's, I guess so. They, do, do, yeah. Thunder Bay's. Uh, yeah. Thunder Bay, Ontario, everyone. Go visit. It's only several plane rides away. Um, <laughs> kidding. I can make that joke. I'm Canadian. Um, okay. So, so Matt, we got we got the heartbeat hot sauces. We uh, I'm going to switch yes. to the vehicle eats now. And admittedly, I'm going. Yeah. I, All right. We gotta ask we got ourselves. We got a million dollars. Million dollars. How are we marketing Heartbeat Hot Sauce? How are we marketing? So mm-hmm. million dollars. Um, with a million dollars, I'd be rich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put it in my pocket, <laughs> and you know, just organic. Dollar, we'll just yeah. do it all organic, right? All SEO. SEO. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think for this, right. Like I'm going to invest in in celebrity cameos, right? And talking about it, right? Because what I want is some design a a TikTok or a viral challenge of some kind, right? You know, like um, scorpion in one hand, blueberry yeah. in the other. Which is which, right? Yeah. And then if you can tell, right? You know, then then you win. I the mean, challenge. they did it with Pepsi and Coca Cola. Why can't they do it with heartbeat yeah. hot sauces? Yeah. You're like, and then. And then you, you take the marketing budget and then you, you go to Cameo or, or you hire, you know, BC and, and D-list celebrities 
to do this challenge and put it on their own Insta Insta face, you know, yeah. talks or whatever, right? And there little you go, paid celebrity sponsorship, you know, little little who, yeah. which flavor do you prefer? What kind of mouth fire yeah. do you do you like at the end of the day, or yeah. or even in the morning goes great <laughs> on eggs? Yeah, heartbeat hot sauces wake yourself up. <laughs> Heart-stoppingly good. good. Oh, I like that a lot. That's probably... Ad standards would be all over them if they said anything close to that. But I I feel like it's a great tagline. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Get your your heart heart beating. Be be cardiac arrested by how delicious it is. No, I'm terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Um, No, this is... uh, is, Makes my heart flutter. Heartbeat hot sauce is so good. Your heart will skip a beat. (laughs) <laughs> i like that one <laughs> never hire me to be a copywriter oh wow mm-hmm. okay and then yeah million dollars i think i i think an influencer campaign via via tiktok is is a great idea and I, yeah. you know you could even do a, a hot sauce dance to it you know one million mm. scoville or whatever scoville these hot sauces are i think i think it was hot Hot sauce, though, I feel like head banging. Okay, like what, like metal or rock and roll or EDM? What are we thinking here? Um, gosh, I don't know. I've, I've it's been a while since I've, I've banged any heads, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't even know. I think just as as long as it, you know, you feel the heat, feel, it, it feel the beat. Matter. Yeah, okay, yeah. I dig that. Maybe like a yeah, like a, a reggae, like a reggaeton or something. I mean, you got beat yes. in the name, so there, there's some kind of Oh, heartbeats playlist. That's what I'm rocking out to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Heartbeats per minute, three (laughs) hundred. I'd run to that. Yeah, you know, I'm watching my figure. I like I like to mix up the hot sauces in my exercise routine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Whoo. Okay, a little bit, a little bit more of the scorpion. We got to do it justice. Just, just a tab. I got to switch vehicles here. I got you have the crackers. crackers now. Get a little ASMR for the audience. Yeah. Eat eat that close to the mic. Heartbeat hot sauces for when you want real flavor. Oh yeah. That's clear. Mm. That's clear on the mic right there. Mm-hmm. You like that? Mmm. That's a spicy crunch. Mm. <laughs> the next heartbeat featuring a Triscuits promotion. <laughs> Just a great merchandising package. Get your Triscuits, get your Heartbeat. Right. You know, once you get the tie-ins, oh, yeah. you're also Oh, yeah, out, it's right? all about the strategic partnerships. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it mm. is really good, though. Like, I like the Scorpion. It burns my mouth. I'm going to hate myself later. Yeah. But right now, I'm digging it. It's great. Oh, yeah, no, there's enough flavor and tang in there. It's it, You're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heartbeat right. hot sauces. Wait, you got you got bread over there. These are I'm an English muffin fan. It's like, you know, very versatile. You know, I'm bringing a little bit of the UK to Hunter B, and um, yeah, decided to (laughs) decided to keep it OG. They're light. I'm watching my figure. They're low cal. I think they're whole grain. Yeah. Yeah, I watch my figure. It just is it gross, right? Hey, I've got washboard apps. Just got a few few months of laundry on them, right? (laughs) 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 Oh. Heartbeat hot sauces, slim down with a spicy mouth. (laughs) 
not your best. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick that kick one that back one to back. editorial. We'll, we'll cut it yeah. out. We'll cut that one out. Yeah, it's good. All right, delicious. Matt, we've discussed how you got here. We've broken some hot sauce together. I burnt my tongue chemically. Let's talk KB Clip. Let's talk what you're what you're doing now. Like, what does KB Clip do? Yeah. Um, so KB Clip is is a Slack on. It's a Slack app that you know you install into Slack. So it's an add-on where uh, you can take any conversation you have, you know, and kind of in seconds it, it brings up a little UI and with some quick checkboxes you click the messages that are important and relevant and you can turn it into a uh, like a wiki page or or a KB page, knowledge base type page, right? And um, I designed it so that that it's fast and easy to use, right? Because you know the issue with traditional wikis is is that you know they it feels like it takes forever and it's hard to get people used to it. So I want people to have, you know, to be where the information is. There's a lot of information flow in Slack, but there's not a lot of information capture. So I wanted to be able to capture a lot of the best information flow that happens through Slack. I, I mean, thank thank you for doing it. As a an avid Star Wars wiki lurker, I, uh, I've never posted anything because I still don't fully understand how. Um, but no, that's it's, yeah. it's interesting that you chose uh, like a, a platform app and like uh, mm -hmm. like what drew you towards you know starting that kind of app yeah well i mean when, when i thought of when i started ideation in general i was i was coming off a a a different startup that was severely impacted by corona and also had um you know like a hardware aspect to it so uh, there was a specific shape the specific characteristics of the company i wanted to do next right and, and the first one is no hardware right learn that lesson you know very strongly right um i wanted some kind of um inbound flow right because you know the the other issue i had was that there was too much sales activity involved right for for very little returns right so i wanted some kind of inbound flow some kind of seo or whatever right uh, i wanted to be bootstrapper friendly so i wanted to maintain that optionality um and and i also think um at the time that i, I did want to be on a platform right because when you're on a platform like like slack or or zoom or shopify or, or wherever right um there's this this kind of safe floor right in terms of of marketing that you have right you know you're never going to get hockey stick growth typically through just a platform if you just leave all the marketing to the platform, but it does provide a baseline of, of inbound and, and basically solution aware customers kind of at your doorstep, uh, if that makes sense, right? Um, there are people constantly browsing, you know, the, the Heroku add-ons page or, or the Shopify, um, stuff like that. And it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can um, have access to uh, these customer base, a wider customer base without, um, you know, doing the work to bootstrap your own audience uh, at the expense of having to adhere to, you know, the rules of the platform and, and the exposure that being on a platform, like, you know, you never know when someone might shut down a platform, you know, hopefully you can pick a platform where mm -hmm. that seems unlikely, but you know, even then, right. You know, you never, really I, I, well, Slack is a pretty guaranteed trajectory now with their recent, uh, acquirer, um, I, yeah. I find that uh, it, you said you said something rather succinct though. Uh, it, it, you just kind of decided what you wanted to bootstrap, and uh, and you picked yeah. you know uh, I guess a, a boundary that you wanted to operate within. But I I, I, I want to know more about the idea of like how do you decide to bootstrap versus seeking outside funds? And call me call me on it if that's not like a true binary. Like is it A or B? Yeah, I mean yes and no, right? So in terms of of raising money, right? You need you need money. To, to do a company, right? You know, whether that's, um, you know, money to, to pay your bills, you know, cause you know, usually you got to pay for renting awesome. along the way. Right. Um, 
you know, maybe, maybe you're paying in terms of time, in terms of you have a day job and, and you're spending all your time and energy in the evening and weekends, right? That's, that's a cost to it, right? Um, but so, so in terms of actually getting money, right, you know, you can actually raise money very slowly and in almost arbitrary amounts from, you know, friends and family, angels and VCs, usually in roughly that order in some way, shape or form, right? So, so it's not necessarily binary in terms of the amount of money or, or um, that you want to raise in any given time. Now, when you talk about, you know, the, am I going to raise money or not, right? The big difference is the logistical requirements of having investors, right? You know, once you raise a single dollar, right? At that point, you're subject to, um, you know, you got to send out investor updates, you know, Slack or email, right? You know, there's there's a lot of paperwork involved, right? There's legal agreements. You got to get lawyers in there, right? You know, um, if, if you're a certain kind of company, like the typically is a Delaware C-Corp, then you have to have a board of directors and, and board of directors meetings every quarter and, and yada, yada, yada. And, and just the, the diligence, right? You know, the overhead of raising money kind of makes it so that if you only want to raise $5,000, it's probably not worth it, right? You know, um, and you're probably going to have to get into that six, seven figure, well, six figure range before, before it starts to make sense, right? You know, to actually raise money, right? You know, it's not counting like, you know, your parents, you know, living in your parents' bedroom, right? You know, that's obviously yeah. a different story and whatnot. But um, the, the binary comes with the, the rules and the obligations and the paperwork and the logistics around raising money and not so much the amount of money you want to raise. Yeah, like a, a time cost of capital. It's that's, yeah, it makes, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Then like that's, it's such a unique perspective. And like, what, what kind of challenges do you as a bootstrap founder face then that I guess another type of founder wouldn't experience? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is that you're doing everything, right? You know, when you raise money, right, you, you, I can, I can outsource accounting and finance, right? You know, I can, I can hire, you know, an office manager. I can, you know, the, I probably have a front end and a back end and a DevOps engineer at, at some point, right? Maybe not obviously on day one or whatever, but um, you know, things like that, sales and marketing, right? As a bootstrap founder, you have to do everything, right? And it's, it's the obvious ones like engineering, you know, full stack, right? It's, um, you know, sales and marketing and, and customer support, right? But then it's the non-obvious ones, like you're doing all the legal work, right? You're doing all the, the due diligence, right? You're doing, you know, you basically have to become like a, like an armchair lawyer in, in a lot of ways, right? You know, billing, accounting, you have to learn finance, right? In order to just manage your books at, at a, at a, a semi-competent level, just so that it's in a reasonable state that you can pass it off to a finance person, an actual finance person of some kind, or an accountant later, right? You know, when when you're quote unquote, you know, can afford it and, and things like that, or successful, right? You know, um, just constant emails and 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 meetings, right? You're, you're probably going to be on a manager schedule, you know, the the manager yep. versus maker schedule. You're probably going to be on a maker schedule when you're by yourself. Excuse me, you're probably going to be on a manager schedule when you're all by yourself, um, and there's very little you can do uh, about that, right? You know, you might be able to block off hours afternoons or mornings here or there, but on the whole, right, you know, especially in the early days, right, you're so um, incumbent on the the goodwill of these very, these early customers and, and early users, which, you know, tend to be few and far in between. So um, you want to be beholden to their schedules as much as possible rather than your own, you know, things like that. So um, there's just... Um, you have to be very, very comfortable with being a jack of all trades and doing some of these functions, you know, poorly you know at, at best well, I, right. I think this is what's so fascinating about you know your your work history and kind of a veteran of silicon valley and you've not only you, you're kind of experiencing by choice you're like i'm gonna bootstrap my my next product because you know i know how to do this you have multivariate experience but in your history you've been a consultant and an advisor and i i find those two kind of like fascinating uh, as a startup ourselves we're you know we're we talk to both kind of uh, in different capacities. What would you say is like the key difference between a consultant and advisor? Yeah. 
I mean, the roles are actually very similar in that I'm, I'm giving a lot of advice. I'm giving information in exchange, you know, you know, my experience and my information uh, and, and knowledge, it's, it's a teaching type of role, you know, in exchange for something right now. Um, the, the biggest difference between the two is, is time and comp, like an advisor, especially the kind of advising I do, right. It's, you know, it's, it's like once a month, you know, I'll spend an hour or two talking about, you know, whatever. Right. And this could be hiring or, you know, tech stack issues or, um, you know, maybe, maybe you have an engineer that, you know, with performance issues or, or, or whatever, you know, or, or product, right. You know, um, I have a lot of product discussions with the companies I talk to, um, things like that. Right. Um, but you know, it, it's, again, it's very, very small. And the comp as an advisor typically is nothing to do with money. Right. And you say, Oh, here's some token amount of shares. Right. You know, um, you know, the, probably will, you know, um, from a statistical point of view, probably weren't, are never worth anything. Usually I do this for, for companies that I like or people that I've worked with before, you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, now in the advisory role, it only kind of makes sense, you know, in, in terms of paying equity, uh, for that kind of support. Um, when, when the hours per month are very, very small, right? Once you get into even, even, you know, past say single digit hours per month, then, then you're talking about, you know, it makes more sense to be a consultant role because equity is cheap in the sense that it doesn't cost you runway or cash or, or anything like that. But it's also expensive in, in the sense that that's, that's a lot of future value that you're, you're mm -hmm. dissipating quickly. Right. So it's cheap in the short term, but very, very expensive in the long term. Now, giving it away makes sense because if, if, if you don't take advantage of that, that cheapness, that short-term cheapness, you may never get to the long-term and you may never reap the value of it, but you don't want to be so, you know, careless with it, you know, or, or generous, you know, whichever one, um, that, that you have not enough equity by the time, you know, you are, you know, into your, you know, later stages yeah. of a company, right? If that yeah, makes sense. no, it, it's, it's it, juggling the variables at, at, at every given stage is just, it, mm -hmm. I, I have the luxury of, you know, Find, find enough founders to deal with it where I don't have to. Um, and, and actually, I, for them, it's kind of, they, they kind of bring this interesting. Uh, we have a, a, a co-founder trio at BriefBit. And I want to know if you could leave mm -hmm. our audience with a lesson, you know, how do you go about selecting co-founders? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of different ways, right? Um, but I think the best way Right. And again, I say this as someone who doesn't have a co-founder today for the project I'm working on, but you know, historically, right. The best way I found to found, uh, I found to, um, get together with co-founders is to actually, um, work with amazing people for X number of months, you know, like, you know, six or more ideally. Right. And then, uh, convince these people to start a company with you. All right. Um, I don't, I don't believe in, in dating sites, not that they don't work or that they can't work, but I think the yeah. odds are against you, right? You know, you're, you're talking, you know, not quite winning the lottery, but it's not great, right? You know, startups already have 1% odds of succeeding. Uh, why would you layer on, you know, founder issues, you know, at, at another, almost certainly less than 1%, you know, in terms of these founder dating sites, the ones that actually work out and are successful, right? Um, you know, the, ideally you've worked together for many months, right? Ideally you've had experience with fairly serious conflict resolution during that time. Right. Think about startups, um, companies, you know, whatever that they're things are easy when things are going well. Right. But it's when things break down, right, that your, your values, your cultural values, right, your um, your core beliefs that really are tested. Right. Um, and, and conflict resolution, you know, uh, when things are going poorly is, is the place where, where you find out if am I really going to be able to work with this person through the ups and downs of a startup. Right. You know, um, and, you know, startups stuff always goes wrong stuff always breaks right so having some experience ahead of time knowing that you can go through a tough situation and and you know you know not devolve into screaming you know you know 
unfixable kind of personality issues, right, is, is, is kind of a big deal, right? So you want to be able to look back and say, yeah, that was tough and that sucked, but we communicated well, we, we, we sorted each other out, we solved the problem, big hugs and high fives at the end, and, and we're all better for it now, no. right? You know, that, that's the ideal. You have those kinds of experiences because those kinds of situations will come up during during the course of creating yeah, a company. It's, uh, I, I don't know. It might have been a Ycom or a Michael Seibel quote. It's just like, things going wrong is inevitable. Count on it. Like, it's like one of those. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, almost. And so, I yeah. think, Matt, thank you so much for your insight and, and you know, kind of describing your experience. Wealth of knowledge. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely been my pleasure. I'm, I'm so glad you chose hot sauce. I, admittedly, I'm a hot sauce lover, so you picked a product that I love all the way from Tender Bay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very good. And uh, where can we find out about KB Clip? Is it just kbclip.com? kbclip.com, right? You know, um, there's an early access now, and I'll be slowly um, broaden, you know, open it up and whatnot. Have, you know, you can either sign up or sign up for the mailing list, or just sign into the app itself and. Uh, you know, you let sort it out. Awesome. Matt, thanks so much again. Adam, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is the How Did You Get Here podcast. The first podcast solely about the guest and how they got to where they are now. 